Question 86. Are all transgressions of the law equally heinous? Here's the answer. Some sins in themselves, and by reason of several aggravations, are more heinous in the sight of God than others. A verse quoting the words of Jesus helps put all of this into context. John 19, 11. Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Now, this is a difficult passage. What did Jesus mean in the first part of the verse? But the last part is really so very plain. Apparently, there's great sin, and then there's greater sin. There's a gradation here. It's a simple concept in many respects, almost self-evident, um, both in scripture and in everyday thinking, in civil life, we all recognize that some things that are evil are more evil than other things. This is part of the image of God stamped in us. This is the, in the unregenerate, this is the work of the law, the remnants of conscience in them. And for Christians, this is part of what's really written into our uh, our enlivened souls. Uh, this is something that we recognize from the Word of God to be true and fair. All right? So, first of all, two quick questions to define terms. What does heinous mean? That's a common older word that we don't use a lot anymore. It simply means children very wicked. There's bad and there's very bad. Well, very bad is heinous. Sometimes it's pronounced heinous or even heinous. Uh, heinous, I believe, is the preferred um, uh, pronunciation, depending on if you're in England or the U.S. or wherever. So something heinous would be hateful, extremely offensive, uh, something that would be repulsive, uh, uh, repugnant to us. All right. And then what does the phrase several aggravations mean? Some sins in themselves and by reason of several aggravations. Well, those, we would say in modern language, the circumstances. The circumstances matter. They, they help determine whether something is bad or very bad. Whether something is a, a, a slighter sin or a heinous sin. These circumstances or aggravations, those are the irritations and the provocations that increase or worsen the transgression. You see, sin always occurs in a setting. It's committed in an environment. And these internal and external circumstances add to or lessen the guilt and therefore the hatefulness of the sin. And we'll talk about a number of different aggravations or uh, circumstances that would contribute to something being more or less sinful. All right? So that's the first two questions. Any questions or improvements on that before we go to question three, which is kind of the crux of the matter? Question three, are all sins hateful in God's sight? The short answer is yes, but not all to the same degree. Yes. 
but not all to the same degree. In other words, um, there is an inequality of sins. All sins fall into the category of hated by God. No sin falls into the category of loved by God, or even some kind of middle category of, well, God views that indifferently, or perhaps that's just a little bothersome to him. Again, this is the core of our question and answer. All sins are a stench in God's nostrils, but some stink more than others. Deuteronomy 9.18, Israel is condemned, quote, because of all the sin you had committed, doing what was evil in God's sight, and so provoking him to anger. All right? And all sin receives that reaction, as it were, from God. It's evil in his sight, it angers him. In other words, he is dis disproving of it. But John 19.11, the quote we gave from Jesus earlier, shows that there is a great sin, or great sins, and greater sins. In Ezekiel 8, there's a number of times where God describes the idolatry of Israel as wicked and detestable. Well, wow, what could be worse than wicked and detestable? Except that in those verses, not all of the times, but three times, the Lord says that he will see things in them that are even more detestable than these things. So there is detestable and there is more detestable. There is evil, and there is heinous. Question four. Name some sins which in themselves are worse or are heinous, more heinous than others. Now, we'll talk about why um, I and the church historically has, have judged these sins this way. We'll, we'll do that in the rest of the lesson. But to begin with, I just want to uh, give some examples. Uh, the first would be, idolatry is more heinous than adultery. Now, you might say, really? Well, I think a case could be made that they are both unfaithfulness. One is unfaithfulness to God. One is unfaithfulness to a marriage partner. Now, unfaithfulness to a marriage partner is no small thing. It's a great evil. But any sin against God and God directly um, in, in regards to <clears throat> unfaithfulness is surely worse. Or when we take something that rightfully belongs to another, we call that theft between humans. We call that sacrilege between humans and God. Therefore, sacrilege is a greater evil than theft. You can speak evil against your neighbor, but if you speak evil against God, it's called blasphemy, and it's worse. Right? Another uh, set of sins, th those, uh, those are sins that, by their very nature, who they're against, um, they're greater or lesser. But there are also um, others but just between men. Things like adultery, the actual act of adultery, is a greater sin than the simple desire to be adulterous. 
both are sin, both are um, against the same morality, but one is a worse sin than the other. Or um, murder is a greater sin than anger. They're not unrelated. Again, as Jesus taught us, uh, anger is murder in the heart, but it's not murder in action. And although it's a great sin, the actual act of murder is a greater sin. And, and we could give further examples. Now, what makes them worse? Is, is, is this biblical thinking? Why, why do we judge these things this way? Well, this is question five. And this is the question of how sins, certain sins, by their very nature are worse than other sins. And, and I think we can summarize the Bible's teaching on this by saying that there are two factors, two at least fundamental factors in thinking about this. The first we've really already mentioned and given you examples of. The first is if they are more directly committed against God than against men. Sins committed against the first table of the law, the first four, are more heinous than those committed against the second table. Now, all of those sins are committed against God. Make no mistake about it. It's not like from Numbers 5 to 10, they're only against men. No, they're all against God. But some sins are directed against God. Others are directed toward men to God. In 1 Samuel 2.25, the word of God says, if a man sins against another man, he might find help. He might find someone who can intercede for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can help him? You see, there is, there is a greater evil when your sin is more directly against God than when it is indirectly against God. A second uh, factor that makes some sins natively worse than others is the quantity and quality of harm inflicted. Now, sin always has harm with it. Sin always leads to misery, whether objective or subjective or both. And so there's always a quantity and quality of harm that comes with sins. There are no victimless crimes, period. There are some, some that have more obvious victims, uh, but every crime brings misery. Some sins by their very nature cause greater damage than others. For example, some sins can be remedied, but others cannot. You know, if you steal someone's material goods, um, justice would be for you to restore them and more, and you can do that. You steal someone's car and you damage it, um, you can replace that car, at least to a very large extent. The Bible teaches though that, for example, some sins, in Proverbs 6, it lists adultery as an example. There is no restitution for adultery. Oh, there might be punishments that come but there is no way to undo and make right as if it had never happened. That's not possible with adultery. Proverbs 6, 30 to 35. When one of your children scowls at you, 
that doesn't cause the same injury. That's not the same sin as when they actually speak nasty, disrespectful words. And that, of course, is less of a sin than when they actually hit you. And that's less of a sin than if they commit patricide or matricide, if they actually murder their father and mother. Clearly, there's a hierarchy of guilt. There is a greater quantity and quality of harm, and so some sins are more heinous than others. Some sins do irreparable harm. Oh, they may be forgiven, but in this life, the person may ruin their life. The simple fact is that some sins have a greater consequence than other sins, and this is because they have greater evil in them. Think of categories like this, the sin that's thought of but not acted out. Clearly, one sin is worse than the other. They're both evil. One is more evil. Uh, sins that are internal as opposed to external. An external sin always has an internal component, but if you keep it only internally, that's less wicked than if you act it out, right? if it becomes external. Sins of the same kind, when ripened into action, are more heinous in themselves than sins only of the inclination or only of the thought. What kind of proof text would we have for that? Well, just think about all the Old Testament case laws. Think about all the ways that the moral law is applied to civil society in Israel. If, uh, if two men are fighting and one of them loses an eye, there's a certain punishment for that. It's an eye for an eye. Eye for an eye is not meant to um, leave everyone blind, as the cynic says. It's to, an, it's to ensure justice that equity in harm is there. That because someone takes your eye doesn't mean that you lose two eyes or that you lose your life. It's a principle of fairness, not a principle of vengeance. The penalty for a murder, the guilt for adultery, the guilt for rape in the Old Testament is different than lesser but associated crimes. All right. So what makes things worse? Well, some are more uh, committed directly against God and others have a difference in quantity or quality of misery that follows them. Questions or comments about that? Again, most justice systems recognize this. Right? Um, the penalty for killing um, five people is different than killing one person. And if the killing is accidental, uh, we see that as less heinous than when it's purposeful. On and on the list could go, and we'll give some other examples in a moment. Question six, what benefit is there in understanding that there are degrees of sin. What benefit is there? Well, there, there are many benefits, but here's one. It keeps men from thinking that acting out a sin is no worse than imagining it. 
It keeps them from thinking that acting out a sin is, is really, in the sight of God, no different at all than thinking about it. What, what's the one that is, is commonly listed? Well, it's, it's lust and adultery, right? Many people think that to lust in the heart is the same sin as adultery, the, the physical act of unlawful intercourse. Well, in one sense, they're the same sin. They're a breach of the same moral law of God. But of course, in another sense, they are not the same sin. To do something in the mind is not the same thing as to do something in the mind and act it out. Evil thoughts of anger are not the same thing as angry words. Bitterness is not the same thing as murder. Yes, they're all of the same family, but they are not the same degree of sin. They are breaches of the same commandment, but they are not, in a strict sense, the same sin. Again, uh, Matthew 5, 27 and 28, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He didn't say he has, he has already committed adultery. The thought of adultery is a breach of the commandment against adultery, but it is not the same sin as the physical act. So this pre prevents us from thinking things like this. Well, I thought of it, I might as well do it. <laughs> it's no difference anyway in God's eyes. You see, that's why it is always right and better, no matter how far we've gone in sin, to stop before we go farther. Irritation is less than anger. Anger is less than hatred. Hatred is less than nasty spoken words. Nasty spoken words are less heinous than killing. Killing one is less heinous than killing many, or to make it worse through a whole host of circumstances that we'll begin to talk about in a moment. Now, this doesn't mean that it's always easy to know um, uh, between two sins which one's the worst or how they exactly relate. It's simply saying we ought to have this these kinds of categories in our minds so that we don't overreact. The first time uh, a newly married wife finds out that her husband has had a lustful thought about another woman, that's not grounds for divorce. The act of adultery surely is. Right? Now, can one take that to an infinite degree and just, no, one can't do that either. But we must recognize there is a fundamental difference in these things. All right? Uh, questions about this? Oh, I wish we. Oh, yes, please. I'll answer your question, but I mean, isn't this sort of like Cain and Abel uh, with, with Cain having, you know, anger in his heart towards his brother and then actually acting out on it? You know, the Lord is, you know, he pretty much says that you have sin is crushing at the door of your heart, and then he acts on it. Yes. 
Yeah, that's a good example of step by step into sin, right? He, he gives in and the Lord warns him partway through. He says sin is crouching at the door. It's a very vivid Hebrew expression that pictures a demon outside Cain's house so that if Cain opens the door, all hell will break loose. And that's, of course, what happened. He opened the door. He walked through it. He murdered his brother. Hell broke loose. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It was evil to be that angry with his brother, to be jealous, to be murderous in his thoughts. It was worse to murder him. Yeah. Well, now let's... let's. Uh, uh, finish by um, naming some of these aggravations. What are, what are some things that when uh, they're joined to a sin make it worse or lesser? What are some of the circumstances that make something more heinous than another? Well, and I want to give you some categories. All right. So the first one is the category of the offending person. Sometimes the one who commits the sin makes it more hateful, makes it worse in God's eyes. For example, someone of uh, what the old writers would call uh, riper age. Uh, you didn't know I was ripening, did you? Yes, I'm ripening quickly, unfortunately. Um, getting a little rotten, sometimes a little smelly. Yeah people of riper, riper age, if someone's advanced in years, they should have more experience. They should have more self-control. So if they commit the same sin as a seven-year-old, surely there's more guilt attached there. Surely there's more guilt. Yeah. Job 32.7, age should speak. Advanced years should teach wisdom. There's a certain expectation. Ezekiel 8.12, the elders of Israel commit the sins, and because they are the ones doing it, as opposed to the younger people, God says these are more detestable sins. Um, you know, when a, when a 16 or a 25-year-old uh, uh, male is arrested for... Um, uh, selling drugs, we shrug our shoulder and go, oh, stupid kid, hope he learned something. When it's a 70-year-old grandmother, we, it, it makes us start. It's like, oh, oh, that's, that's not right. Oh, that's doubly wrong. Right. There's something worse about that. It's especially shameful. Um, uh, another category of offending person uh, making a sin worse, not just someone older, but someone with greater grace. To know the way of righteousness and experience the mercy and grace of God makes our choosing sin more heinous. More light, when it's rejected, aggravates a sin, and it leads to greater punishment. Listen to Matthew 11, 20-24. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed, because the people did not repent 
Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Why will it be more bearable on the day of judgment? Because their sin is more guilt-laden. There will be greater judgment because there's greater guilt. You, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed, and oh, wow, here he gets, he gets, um, he sets the pattern for Paul Washer, okay? He, he says, if the miracles in your fine Jewish community had been performed in Sodom, the worst place on earth in the Jewish mind. It would have remained to this day. I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Light enhances guilt. Light makes sin more or less heinous in the one who does it. Luke 12, 47 and 48. The servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment, oh, there's still sins, will be beaten, yes, but with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So Christians, when they sin, perhaps in an, in an identical way, in every other circumstance or respect to an unbeliever, that sin in the believer is actually more hateful in the, in the judgment of God than the unbeliever. Now, if they're a true Christian, it's under the blood of Christ. But that doesn't change the righteous judgment of God about the wickedness of the sin. Greater light means greater sin. Another uh, way that something in or about the, the person who's sinning, the offending party, not just age, not just more grace, but another is eminent in place. Someone um, publicly visible. This is why sins in pastors are worse than the sins of people in the pew. Don't many of you desire to be teachers, brother? Because the judgment is more strict, right? That's what James, James 3, 1 says. Well, how can that be? Because sins done in public, sins by someone done who should be honoring God in an especially clear way, they're greater sins. If a public person sins, if someone in office, if some leader um, that other people follow sin, that's an aggravation. That's a circumstance to the sin that makes it worse. When a pastor sins publicly, it's a greater offense than if an ordinary person sins. If a father or a mother sins in the exact same way as, a, as their uh, little child, that's a greater sin because their example, in part, because their example is more likely to be followed 
by others. Greater harm is more likely. King Solomon is a great example of this, sadly. 1 Kings 11, 4 to 10. King Solomon is by this time old, so he should be wise, right? And not just wise in the way he is renowned for, but wise in the way of obedience and sin. He should be, um, so he's old. He's had God appear to him personally. He's been given clear direction. He's had great blessing in his life, and he certainly comes from a good heritage, his father David. And he is the most public person among God's people in Israel at the time. He's even a type of Christ. So when he commits later in his life the sin of idolatry, this was an aggravated sin. This is an a heinous sin. It's more hateful to God than when an individual way up in the land of Dan, out in the country, under the hillside, goes and does the exact same thing. This is more hateful to God, and so in these verses, appropriate punishment was read against him. Well, what's the point? If you're in this category, or any of these categories, and we all are in one way or another, and these are only sample uh, ideas, let's watch ourselves. Uh, Let's just be more vigilant against sin. Another another category of uh, circumstances or aggravations that make one sin or the same sin uh, worse uh, than, than the same sin in another situation is not just the person doing the sin, but the person uh, whom the sin is against, the offended person. Of course, when this is God, um, that's the gravest type. Sin against the Holy Spirit. Jesus declares to be great and in some instances so great as to even be unforgivable. He is a great person and so sins against him cannot help but be great. But not just God, but our superiors. Uh, To sin against an equal is one thing. To sin against a superior that we owe a great debt to. You know, slapping your brother when you're both seven or seven and five, uh, not that I ever did that, haha, is um, uh, the only question is how many times uh, did we fight or hit or beat each other up? Um, but if I were to do that to my mother, because she's my superior, because I owe her so much, I owe her life itself in human terms, that would be much greater, a much greater sin. It violates nature, it violates gratitude, It violates the law of God. And the offended person, um, what if it's a saint? Especially weaker brothers. You know, God, especially in the New Testament, warns against harming those who don't have many defenses. Matthew 18.6, if anyone causes one of these little ones to sin, better if they died a terrible death than do that. Better better if they'd never been born. 
the young, the simple, the newer Christian, the weaker Christian. We, we ought to be very alert, uh, even more so than regularly, uh, not to sin against them. So, uh, some of the circumstances or aggravations can be who's doing the sinning. Another can be who is the sin against. The third category is the qualities of, of the offense. Much, much could be said here, and I'm just going to quickly list some of these. The qualities of the offense. Uh, the first is multiple. Have you done it once or have you done it a thousand times? Right? Are you breaking one commandment or are you breaking many commandments? One of the reasons David's sin with Bathsheba was so truly heinous was that it really involved as a complex of sins the murder of her husband, the adultery, almost certainly the rape, actually, of Bathsheba, uh, coveting her, uh, laziness, not doing his duty, and on and on the list could go, frankly. There are many crimes in it, and that is a worse offense than if he had just done parts of that or a single time. Right? So, multiples. Secondly, outward. If something's outward, it's generally worse than something inward. If it's not kept in the heart, but it breaks out, especially in front of others, that's a worse sin. It brings more dishonor on God and greater injury to men than a private or internal sin. Now, that's not to say that internal sins have no consequences and that they can't often lead to a great deal of other sin and trouble. It's simply to say that in general, if something is outward, it's usually worse than something that's strictly inward. Oh, the category of repairability, I don't know if that's a word, is something reparable or not? So multiple outward, is it repairable? Can it be undone in some measure or not? Uriah's death was not repairable. No compensation could be truly made for him. No restitution was available. Another quality is whether or not it's a, a, a natural sin. That is, is it against the light of nature? So, for example, I think it is properly biblical to, in the general sense, describe something like fornication or adultery as a less heinous sin than the practice of homosexuality. Why? Because fornication and adultery are trivial sins? No. But at least they're natural. Homosexuality is contrary to nature. Anyone who knows the least, um, the least bit about how males and females are made understands that male and female can be productive. Male and male or female and female cannot be. Male and female, um, I trust this isn't too graphic, they fit together. Males and males and females and females don't. There simply is a perverseness. And the words used to describe that sin in the New Testament are very strong. Um, in some countries, 
in Europe, if you repeat those uh, biblical denunciations, you will be jailed. But this lesson teaches that, um, not that homosexuality is the worst sin you can commit, it's not. But that sins against nature overthrow God's entire order. God invented biology and even the light of nature should show to, to, to men, to mankind, um, purpose and ethics. And they do, but men and women reject them because of their lusts. A final uh, quality of the offense, and again, others could be given, multiple outward, are they re re repairable, are they natural, and finally, is it willful? You know, when something is chosen, not accidental, when something is deliberate as opposed to in the heat of passion, when something is presumptuous, not a mistake, um, there's a difference in guilt. There's a difference in the level of wickedness. Um, David says in Psalm 19.12, uh, forgive me for my hidden faults, that is, for my my mistakes, those, those things that I've done that are sin, he asked for forgiveness, um, but that I didn't even know I did. I mean, there, there was no intention there. And in the next verse he says, keep me from intentional sins, from purposed, brazen sins, because there may not be, and in fact there wasn't in the Old Testament law, there was no sacrifice for those sins. There was not. They are even said in a few places to be excluded from the sacrifices. Now that doesn't mean the blood of Christ can't uh, cleanse us from willful sins, but it's, it's, it's showing in the Old Testament sacrificial system that some, some sins were worse than others. Right? When, when you sin and then you boast about it, when you do something and you do it with venom, I mean you do it with delight, or with meanness, that's worse than accidentally doing it. It just is. And again, we're, we're used to this in civil law. We don't believe that um, a triple planned homicide is the same thing as manslaughter. There's guilt in manslaughter, but it's not the same level, all right? And then finally, um, a, a final aggravation is this, the time and place of the offense. Now, for some of you, this will be a new concept, but I think if you think about it, you'll, uh, you'll understand this. Any of these sins done on the Lord's Day make it a worse sin. Because it's a holy day to God. Yes, you should obey God perfectly every day of the week. But the Lord's Day is something owned by Him in a special way. He has a claim on it. It is to be kept holy. It's, it has a sabbatic character. Um, Hebrews 4, Revelation 1.10. And so when Judas, on the day of preparation for the feast, turns Jesus over, one of the greatest crimes in the history of mankind becomes even more vile because it's done in relationship to an old covenant holy day. Don't lie any day of the week, but don't lie on the Lord's Day even more. 
right? And place. And by this we just mean, is something done publicly or privately? You know, if you sin in the presence of others, they're likely to be provoked or defiled or harmed in some way. Um, think about what Absalom did. He uh, wanted to show that uh, he was now king. Well, one way to do that was to take his father's uh, concubines and bed them. Well, that's evil enough. But what did he do? He pitched a tent on the roof and then in front of all Israel bedded his father's wives. Public sin, more heinous than if privately done. Okay? Those are just examples of some of the circumstances or aggravations that um, may, in particular cases, and one always has to look at particular cases, um, make, make the sin worse. Well, that's the end of the lesson. Questions, comments? I can't wait till we're in person. We may be done with the uh, catechism uh, by then. I don't know, but um, it, it's so much better in person for this part of it. All right, um, we're making good progress on the building. We hope to make more progress in the weeks ahead. I'd really like us to be uh, at least trying to meet in September. Uh, we have not given notice to First Baptist yet, uh, just in caution, but I hope to do that per our agreement with them to give them 30 days notice uh, with the payment of next month's uh, rent. And that would mean that we don't overlap payments because our first payment on the building to uh, the owner or ex-owner is not until October 1st, all right? We closed, as I trust all of you know, on, on Friday. It went very smoothly, very simply. And, um, and, and so we want to get moved in quickly. We, we won't have it all perfect for moving in, but uh, we're not exactly living or, or worshiping and meeting in a perfect place now. Uh, we can't, uh, you know, we can't eat together now. We can't, can't hang around too long. There's lots of things we can't do. Uh, we may be able to do some of those uh, right from the beginning, or at least at least plan for them fairly quickly, and we'll be able to, uh, Lord willing, uh, control our own decisions and destinies about those things under Christ. Uh, I thank the men uh, for their work on the building. Um, I thank you, ladies, for giving up your men for parts of Saturday and other times to do that. God is pleased with that. Let's continue to pray for the two men who are away from us, uh, Kenneth and Justin. Our brother Chase leaves on Wednesday for three and a half weeks away, probably. Um, let's pray for him and his dear wife. Uh, let us know if, we, if you need our help, um, and let's be quick to respond uh, in whatever way they need. Also pray for Alan Apollotta, who left, I think, this past week as well. That's right. I Thank you. 
Yes, he is away also. Now, Jessica has both of her parents there, and as she jokingly told me this, well, not so jokingly, told me this morning, um, you know, it's way more help than w when the two grandparents are there than when Alan's home. Uh, that's not a slam on Alan. It's just saying two hands are better than, or four hands are better than two. I, I'm sure that's what she meant. But, um, yeah, so she's well well supported. But but still, yeah, let's let's remember Alan. She said he's really, really busy, which makes the time go quickly. Great, but whew. No questions, Tiffany? No? Okay. No questions, Wes? Okay. Well, love you all. Um, I look forward to seeing you uh, soon. And... Um, Please pray for me. We have a very, a very busy week. And then I hope to take the next week off for the first time. It's way too late in the year for this to be the first week I'm taking off, but it, it is what it is. My wife will be gone for a couple of weeks with her parents. Please pray for her. It is the exact opposite of a stress-free vacation. Um, some of you may recall that it, it actually caused heart trouble a few years ago. It can be quite difficult there. Um, one of the one of the ways that I'm most most proud of my wife, most thankful for her, is that she sincerely wants to honor her parents and obey the fifth commandment. It's not always easy. So, some of you understand this. <laughs> you understand this, but um, it can be, even be unhealthy <laughs> in in trying to fulfill that commandment. So please please pray for her. I would I would be so appreciative. Okay. Jennifer. Um, I, I just have a quick prayer request. Um, my cousin uh, um, attempted to and, um, I, I missed almost everything you said. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> That's better. tried to commit suicide and so um and it's it's been they both need jesus and um you know he my cousin actually we're the only family that he has like my my mom and dad her his mom probably committed suicide and like he was only a child he was a single child never knew his dad like so oh. my cousin it's just horrible and then you know, his ex-wife is all into drugs and stuff, so their son, Dalton, this is what... Dalton, you know, okay. And so he's been living with Josh and any... or my cousin. So if you could pray for Dalton. How old is he? So Dalton is, I think, 18. Yeah. Okay. And actually, I think his birthday... This was actually going to be the first birthday that my cousin Josh is going to be able to be with his son Dalton on and now he's in the you know in a hospital and because of COVID he can't see him no. and you know so he's just really hurting um so if you could pray for Dalton and Josh I'm praying I'm possibly going to go up to visit family for a couple of weeks um because I haven't seen them in a while um 
and I'm hoping maybe to have some opportunity to connect with them. Um, but yeah, so if you could just pray for Josh and Dalton, I would yeah. really appreciate that. Vulnerable age. Okay, thank you everyone. So good to see you on the Lord's Day. So good to um, just delight in each other's presence and and encourage one another. You you always do me, and I I so appreciate it. Um, let's let's all make it to heaven safely. Okay. Peace.